0: Well, you might think that after a weekend without City, there wouldn't be much to talk about for this week's Blue Moon podcast. And you'd be right, so thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Now, just getting welcome to this week's show where we're looking ahead to where the season really gets underway. We've got Saturday's match with Fulham to preview and the Champions League campaign begins with a tie with Lyon on Wednesday as well. What should City fans expect from this year's competition and does Pep Guardiola's side have what it takes to go all the way? We'll try to provide the answers over the next 60 minutes. Also in today's show, we're heading down memory lane to find out just how City ended up in the third tier of English football 20 years ago and we speak to those involved at the time of the club's demise in the 1990s. We've an exclusive interview with former City defender turned fireman David Brightwell and we'll get to your questions in Ask the Panel as well. I'm your host for this week, David Booney. I'm joined in the studio by the Daily Mail's Jack Gorn. Hello, you alright? And City fan and blogger Richard Burns. Hello. Are you both well?
2: Yeah, first time on this year. I know, it's a new intro, How do you like it? Uh, yeah, very much enjoying it, I don't have to do anything. so Even better, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Well, yeah, well yeah. This is one of the major positives of Burnley being knocked out of the Europa League. I can actually come <laughs> and do this on a Thursday night now.
0: <laughs> Where would you rather
3: be, here or Turf Moor?
2: Uh, uh, very much here, I think. Tur- you, well you Tur- have to say that, Turf- obviously. Turf, Turf-, Turf- Moor getting colder now, it's September, <laughs> so...
3: The negative of Burnley being knocked out of the Europa League is it gives them a better chance of surviving in the Premier League, which is a damn shame. Not a Burnley go. fan, are you? No. Can't stand them. Yeah. Can't stand them. And the great thing is I don't have to be impartial on here, so I hope they go <laughs> down.
0: You'd have to be impartial anywhere, really.
3: Uh, no, yeah, I say that as you, if I've sort of start the corridors of the BBC. Don't, I've been I've been, I've
0: been on your Twitter feed, mate. I've seen how much you hate Burnley. I'm not... Yes. <laughs> anyway, we're not here to talk about Burnley. <laughs> I am. <laughs> well, that's what that's what I'd signed up for.
2: So,
0: <laughs> so Fulham, Fulham, the uh, the game on Saturday for City. We've we chatting before we came on to this show because I I never normally do this, but I threw the question to these two to, to say what do you want to talk about because the kind of feeling is there's not really a lot going on. Um, We've come off the back of the international break. We've had a few players stay behind where they've not been called up and they've had a bit of rest time. Is that so? Uh, that must be a good move for for City ahead of this game.
2: Yeah, they'll be happy about that, won't they? Because the they've been a bit anxious about time off and players getting a rest um, and the injuries to De Bruyne, well, the injuries to De Bruyne in particular was kind of put down to them working too hard. Um, So they would be pleased with that. And kind of key players staying back as well and getting time off to go away on holiday. Uh, So I guess this, this week would act as a kind of mini pre-season
0: Well I said at the start of the show this is where the season really kicks on now there's, there's midweek games from now on in and it's you know the fixture list starts to get a bit packed after games against Wolves and, and Newcastle where City I wouldn't say that they weren't particularly bad but they had tough games they were tough opponents to break down and beat. a form good opponents in that sense to kind of come back off and, and, and have especially
2: at home this weekend what, in terms of they a bit more expansive? They,
0: well, they're likely to be, a, it's likely to be a bit more open, is it?
2: Yeah, well, you would think that looking at the results, but then how many teams go to the Etihad and do anything but stick? Well, nine? Huddersfield <laughs> tried. <laughs> yeah, well, Huddersfield amazingly didn't play with, they played without a goalkeeper, didn't they? That, that day, so, <laughs> um, Which I thought was, you know, it was Matt, it's map It's a bold move, isn't it? Yeah. Magnus <laughs> Maverick, isn't he? So, um, yeah, I don't, I, you know, you would look at Fulham's results and, and say that they might. They might come out and, and try and attack a little bit more, but I don't think they will because well, it's that, suicide, isn't it? Well, uh, yeah. yes, it is. Um, but if you do it in a measured way, there are ways to get at City, I think. If you look at the full backs and try and overload the full backs, uh, particularly on the left hand side, then th- there are minor weaknesses that you could exploit. Um, I just think kind of talking about perfect opponents, I think anyone. Anyone at home after the international break would be would be seen as a as a decent fixture for them, um, and it's another game that they, they they should win. But I don't know. I might be. I'm going out on a limb here, but I wouldn't expect them to win comprehensively because I think I just think Fulham will, will sit in.
0: Richard, if you if you're going to win the title and City are obviously pushing for the the first back to back titles, you have to beat promoted sides at home. It's, not, it's you, no choice really, is there?
3: Yeah, of course. I think. I mean, the the nature of any game in the Premier League is that you are you can always look at it and, or, well, almost any game, you can always look at it and find a way that if you're not at your best on the day and your opponents play to their strength, then they can hurt you. And I think Fulham, maybe more than a lot of other teams, fall into that. They, I think it's interesting for them because I think Djokanovic is will, as much as possible, stick to his preferred style of play. But they're a team who, just like City, like to control the ball and he's going to have to accept in his planning that he's not going to do that because City are just better right because they're the best team in the country so I think in principle um, I'm not convinced that they will completely sit in I think they will try and attack City I think they'll be there with the hope of trying to get the three points Um, but I don't expect them to do that because like you say City are going for the league and they have to they have to win these type of games what i think is interesting going into this one is that we sit on 10 points out of 12 same as we did last season but it really doesn't feel like we've got going yet which i think is maybe the most exciting thing same we, as last
0: season though wasn't it? it wasn't really until but we'd already
3: batted i mean i know we've battered huddersfield this year but at this point last season we'd already taken liverpool apart and we'd already had a because that was the fourth game last season i think yeah. and so we'd already had a big win by this point against the significant opponent whereas this year the two most and I know we beat Arsenal but the two most faltering performances this year away to Wolves and then not to knock it but sort of labour into a win over Newcastle it just doesn't quite feel like we've hit the ground running yet which is fine because we've still got 10 points out of 12 and that if anything makes it more exciting of we've still got greater things to come but I hope Fulham are going to be the team that because they play up and maybe we can get behind them a bit more and really, really get going.
2: Yeah, I thought there the, the, I mean, there were quite a few teams last year that did still try and hit City on the counter attack, which is what I think Fulham will do. I think they will sit in; they'll probably play ten yards deeper than or, they ordinarily would do. And there were teams that tried to tried to hit City on the break last year, but weren't able, you know, weren't able to because City were that were that good. I mean, the problem that Fulham will have if they're going to play Mitrovic, then they need to get people around him.
0: I was gonna say he's a good option of them because he holds the ball well.
2: Yeah, but it's all—it's well and good, all well and good at holding it up. If you're not gonna support him, then it yeah, make a yeah, if someone's gonna be thirty yards away, you know you can't keep it forever, can you? Um, yeah, it's—I mean there were, there were quite a few home performances last year where a few of them were laboured. Thinking like kind of first half against West Ham, mm. Southampton, there, there were there were there were there were examples. I mean, not probably not quite as striking as the Newcastle game, yeah, yeah. where they did they did struggle, but they found a way to to win, which th- that's probably what will will please them most over the first few weeks is that they did actually beat Newcastle because it didn't look like they were going to for a long time in that second half. And uh, Richard, you you you've done a forum podcast
3: this week. What if you what what how are they feeling? Um, the gentleman on that podcast, um, Russell, felt that uh, they would. Very much. Let I me mean, start of like what I just said. Not that I was completely riffing off his opinions. I at wondered all. if that was the case, but you know, you know. <laughs> uh, he felt that they would come for the three points and not really sacrifice any of their style of play. That they were. Which I much...
0: mean, that's that in itself is a bold move because yeah, I mean, it would I, be. I, I appreciate you can't just change your style of play for one game and expect it to work. It, yeah, it doesn't I, always work like that. I think but... that
3: I do think the difference, though, with taking a fan perspective on that to how the manager will see it is, I think with very good reason, as a supporter of a promoted team, I know Fulham have been around the Premier League before, but as a supporter of a promoted team, you sort of see these as your free hits, and if you get beat, well you don't want to get walloped, but if you get beat, okay, and you've played one of the big teams who most of your opponents will get beat by, so it's not a huge deal to lose it, whereas for a manager, you're thinking of every single point you can get, aren't you, so I suppose it. A supporters feeling going into a game like this is completely different but he seemed he seemed pretty rational and if, if he's convinced that's how um our formal play then maybe they will i i work with a Fulham fan as well and his prediction for the weekend was that uh, or is that city will win four two at five two and his basis being that two is the maximum that Fulham will score and four is the minimum that city will score <laughs> so he tipped us for five two <laughs>
0: um We mentioned Mitrovic a few minutes ago. Does that, I mean, he's, we talked about his hold up plays, you know, good in the air. Does that open the door for Otamendi maybe to make his first start of the season? Because he's, you know, not featured yet.
2: Yeah, it's a bit of a surprise that he's not featured. Um, I mean, Stones and Laporte are now V2, aren't they? That's, I think that was clear towards the end of the season that those were the two that were going to be kind of the the future pairing. Um, Yeah, I suppose Otamendi with a bit more aggression. Because Mitrovic is a complete throwback, and Otamendi probably, probably the one out of the four center hours that will go toe to toe with him. Um, but it's, so that yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he does go with Otamendi because I'm guessing that he would wanna, want to, he wants Stones and Laporte to play with each other uh, as much as possible if that is going to be his mm. his two going forward. But I
0: mean, we've touched on this in the past. He. Does he pick his two strongest defenders, or does he pick, him, pick them for the game? Because does he pick them based on what he thinks the opposition are going to do?
2: Uh, I think some, yeah, sometimes, um, but I think that's easier for you to do when you're not sure on your on your main two. Now, I mean, I'm, again, I might be com- completely wrong, but it, it seems like he's he's sold on these two now, um, generally, or for kind of more important. For the for the top tier games, yeah, the, you know, the... yeah, I mean, there's there's that great quote from Company over the summer or last season or whenever it was, where he said he's he's not been first choice in nine out of ten of his seasons at City, but he believes that he's not be, he's not got into it as first choice. Yet he's continued, I don't know, for how many six or seven of the seasons he's he's finished the season as the main man. Now you, maybe maybe that's going to happen again. Maybe he's then going to get a run of games, and he'll he'll be the one. I don't know, but they've got good options, haven't they? I mean, like Otamendi's completely different to the other three. I was going to
0: say Richard. He's not featured yet this season. Has that surprised you?
3: Um,
0: well, this is thing on
3: on the face of it, yes. When you think how brilliant he was last season, given a new significant contract, it wasn't like just a year extension, was it? It was a one that tied him to the club for the, the remainder of the best part of his career. Um, and he, I mean, he really, really was very, very good last year. And yeah, so with that in mind, you would think there's a player who's going to play plenty of football the following season. But then when I think about the players ahead of him, it just makes sense. I mean, I fully agree with Jack, the Stones and Laporte are the, the first two, um, you know, the Pep's ideal first choice. That doesn't mean that he won't ever break them up. It doesn't mean that, um, they are perfect together. They clearly both still have plenty of learning to do. I think Stones will benefit from being the um, the lead, if you will, in that partnership. Um, after how much he came on in the World Cup as one of the senior defenders, and he's had a very good start to this season. Um, so it, it, and I mean company's company. We all, we we talk almost every week <laughs> in, in one way or another about him and, and how brilliant he is. So. It makes sense when you when you look who the other defenders are. It suddenly makes sense that Otamendi is the fourth choice, and we've played four games. So if you're the fourth choice, is it you know maybe you can expect one in four, one in five appearances? Certainly in the Premier League, that's probably about par for the course. So it's just it's the nature of having a a genuinely a great squad. Some very very good players are going to play very very few games, and I think Otamendi falls into that this season.
0: The other end of the pitch, um, both Sane and Mares haven't really hit the ground running this season so far. Um, we'll come on to Sane in a minute. Um, Riyad Mares, he he looks like somebody that needs a goal, doesn't
2: he? Yeah, he struggled the other week, didn't he? Mm. He got really, really struggled. It surprised me. Um, playing in his favoured position on the right hand side, cutting in, you thought that that game would have been made for him, given that um, he would have he had space to space to move, uh, Newcastle weren't really being pulled, uh, they weren't being pulled out of position with him, so he was having time to kind of deliver cross balls into the box and things like that. I don't know, it was a very strange strange performance, but Guardiola said the day before that game, he was asked, uh, I think Sammy, Sammy Lee asked him actually, how he thought he was settling in, and he went, oh yeah, yeah, very good, absolutely no problem. But he was pretty average against not Newcastle, against yeah, Newcastle and yeah. but it does these things take take time don't they I suppose and City are in the advantageous position of not actually needing Mares to hit the ground running mm-hmm. at all I mean it would be nice for them if Canasane the, kind of had started the season well because that would have taken the pressure off Mahrez. but it's
0: I mean the funny thing is you mentioned him in playing on the right and cutting in you know it's it's not affected Sterling being moved out to the left and, and when he started at City Sterling really couldn't do the left hand side
2: <laughs> No, well he's changed as a player, hasn't he? He's getting better and better w- with each passing month. He can do different things and kind of is some of his best goals for, for City have been, been left cutting yeah, inside, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but I just I don't know it's Mares struck me as a strange signing anyway. It was a quite a lot of money to pay for someone who is late 20s um doesn't fit the mould of what City usually but all have been buying over the last few years. Um it was a kind of almost a marquee statement after either missing out on Sanchez or deciding they didn't want Sanchez. They clearly wanted in it like a name uh, in the front three, and I don't know whether that's kind of I don't know. It's baffled me really. i have got I no. What, he's not they, really got, got any. They've
0: got names in the front three because you look at someone like Aguero heading leading the line. That no, is, I mean that's... kind of
2: someone they were going to bring in and kind yeah, of add I... an extra spice to it. But. I, yeah, I was I was confused with the Mares one because he's got no re he's not really got any resale value which which is what they kind of what they want now if they did want to get rid of someone then they'd be of an age where they get quite a lot of money from I don't know, maybe 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 he was really suited to Leicester and or maybe he'll become a brilliant signing. I don't know either way yet, do we? Richard,
0: what what's your feelings on Morris so far? Because I mean, ultimately, it's four games into the season. We can't sit here and say that it, that it's going to be a flop. He's going to be a great player. We just don't know yet.
3: Well, I think um, it did make sense to me as a signing on the purely on his ability as a player basis. For all the things that Jack said about resale value and the age that we signed him, you know, was he twenty seven, twenty eight, is mm. he to pay sixty million for? somebody of that age even in the market uh, being as bonkers as it is now um, that was the bit that struck me as, uh, as slightly odd um, but I mean I think on the the first show of the season I sat here and said how brilliant I thought it was going to be so I'm not going to reverse that after after, four, after games. <laughs> four games in which he hasn't played in no, all of them no. um, I think I think his skill set does suit City um, or at least can be it offers something slightly different because he's. It, was, it sort of roughly fits City, but it's not the same as Sterling, Sane, Bernardo Silva, David Silva. I think he's got great passing ability, he's great out wide, he can come in, he can finish. Um, I think what I expected to see a bit more of from him so far was maybe coming out from widening and finding that space in the box where we scored so many of our goals from last season Um, where in the early parts of the season Jesus was scoring loads from tappings in the box Sterling was doing the same I think I expected Mara to fit right into that because I think he's a very intelligent player Um, of course it might be the case that he was perfectly suited to Leicester and that a squad with a completely different dynamic and where almost his quality holds an entirely different currency in in the squad, maybe he won't Um, maybe he'll flounder in that, I don't know it's certainly the case at the moment I think to me the the thing that's lacking is his decision making, if he was committing to putting a ball in or taking a shot then at least you'd see an intent there and at the moment he seems to be falling shy of not really making decisions when he's on the ball Um, but I think that will change and then the one thing that really really um, gives me confidence is Guardiola has improved almost every single player that he's worked with at City Signings and um, long-standing players, so I don't see why Mahrez should um, should fall short of that.
0: Now, Leroy Sano, we uh, he's he's another one that's not started the season that well. Um, he obviously had the issues with uh, Germany in the World Cup. He then didn't start the season too well. He's got an opportunity now because I mean, obviously, th- this week his child's been born. It's really an opportunity for him to now kind of come back, fresh start, and and nail down a position
2: yeah I was surprised that he was back in training on Tuesday, which uh child was born on Saturday. I think that was quite quick to be back um particularly playing under a manager who is uh good at giving leave when things are happening in your personal life so it's quite i thought that was quite significant that he was back so soon um in training he obviously feels he's got a point to prove um he's out he's had a very very difficult four months um but shouldn't underestimate the stuff that's going on in his personal life as well. Like his um, girlfriend has moved, I think she's moved, yeah, either moved or moving from America to, to Manchester. That's quite a new relationship. Um, he's obviously had the problems with Germany as well and Pet was quite pointed in his remarks about him on tour in America. There's quite, there is, there's been a lot going on. When you add it all up, there is quite a lot and he is only 22. But, People you speak to around the Germany camp say he didn't train well enough. People you talk to at City said despite the manager disputing this publicly, people at City say that he didn't he's not training well enough. So when you put those two things together, it's it's not overly surprising that um that he's missing out. And I mean the kind of the omission of, from the squad for the Newcastle game, the entire match day squad.
0: Was Guardiola making a point with that?
2: Yeah, I mean he I'd kind of the formation they were playing as well, and they actually played with two genuine wingers. You would, if if Sane's not in the eleven, you'd have him on the bench because that's that's the way they were playing, um, and for him not to be, it
3: was a huge. I thought it was a huge, huge statement.
2: Richard, is there room for
0: him and Mendy in the same
3: team? Well. Yeah, but Sané has to adapt to that, doesn't he? I mean, the, the compromise there in, in style is going to be Sané's. He cannot be pinned out wide if is playing and getting up and down the wing and firing in balls the way that he does, um, which means, to me, I mean, I would never claim to be a, a, a great thinker about the tactics of the game, but to me that means that Sané can't do it as well. He has to come inside. Um, I mean, obviously, this it's a very fluid game. There's room for interchange if Mendy can obviously bring himself inside to allow Sané out wide. But the bulk of Mendy on the ball, in an attacking position, is going to be out wide. So I think there's room for them both, because I can't see a, I I can't see a scenario where a Sané is best, where we don't utilize him, where we make way to say right well we want to play with Mendy as our left back, left wing back. So Sané has to give way for that on a consistent basis because Mendy's always going to be the first choice left back whenever we can, uh, you know, whenever his fitness allows for that. So, yeah, Sonny's going to have to be able to either come in, you know, play on the right and be able to come in or play a little bit more centrally. And personally, I think he's very, very capable of that. I think we, I said it before, I think we started to see that at the the back end of last season. You think of, uh, or to me, the game at the Emirates was a great example of, how well he can do sort of across the pitch. He was all over the place in that game. and the It was the first
0: goal, I think. He had had the gangly legs run where he he stepped inside like six challenges.
3: Uh, Yeah, and he he just took that. I mean, I know it was early on in the game, but he took it by the scruff of the neck. He decided that he was making his mark on that game. He knew where he was going, and he was capable of splitting a team apart just on his own. And he actually, although, granted, not necessarily the same success as, as we had in that game, He started doing that, I thought, a lot more um, from that point on, and I think maybe that's the thing that disappoints me most about his start to the season, is not that he's off form or the reports about his his attitude, maybe not training as hard, because maybe there are are mitigating factors to that. It's the interruption in his momentum that bothers me, like he should have been ready to just kick on this season and to, OK, he's 22, he's not going to be brilliant in every game, but this was an opportunity to start the season flying, make your mark, show that last season wasn't a one-off, and actually, at the moment, he's doing the opposite. And again, four games in, it's clearly not a terminal problem. In fact, I think he will come through the other side of it for the better. Um, but it's not great, is it? It's not It's not good for him at the moment.
2: Well, it's interesting, because that this is similar to what happened last year. Mm. didn't start a game until September the twenty third or something last year, the Palace game. He did. He did score twice off the bench against Liverpool,
0: though. That could have. Yeah,
2: well, that was a kind of around the same date as, as what we're right now, I suppose, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, and then the first season, <laughs> he didn't. He didn't play at all, did he? Really, until, until the, Christmas. Christmas yeah. yeah, until the Arsenal game. Mm. And his mum. And he was really homesick, and his mum was over every couple of weeks and whatever. He's quite, you know, he's quite, he's complex, complex character, and needs to be carefully managed. Because he's, it'd be, it'd be a shame if he were, if if his talent was, was wasted, um, and just, it just, you know, people have a go at the kind of press for overblowing things all the time. But this is the Sane stuff. This has been happening for the last few months. Um, Pep sent him a message against Newcastle. No um, time to respond. Kind of, yeah,
3: it? it's kind of up to him now, isn't it? I, I would, I personally think he'll start on Saturday because I think it's a perfect opportunity to go from a low to an instant high, whilst that, that memory of... I mean, he must have felt bad after the Newcastle game, just from a pride perspective of knowing what was now being said about him. And this guy's had a chance to... OK, obviously, he's had quite a significant life-changing event in that time, so you'd hope he's in good spirits after <laughs> uh, after having a baby. But um, in in purely professional terms, he's got a very recent memory of what's well, probably not an exaggeration to say at club level is one of the probably one of the lowest points of his career. His name has been, to a point, dragged through the mud. People are talking about him having a bad attitude, sulking, and his manager has paid lip service to disputing that, but not in any meaningful sense. Now he's got a chance to say, right, sod the lot of you. I'm going to prove what I can do. It might prove to be a masterstroke by Pep, um, as long as it doesn't actually bring out sulking from him <laughs> and, and dent his confidence. But I trust that Pep knows how to manage Sané.
2: Yeah, Richard, completely right. That that would be classic Guardiola, wouldn't it? Yeah, hang him out to dry and then go there. You go, show me why I'm wrong. I mean, what do you think the hate me, hate me stuff on the Amazon? Exactly. Who do you think he's talking about? Right? I always
3: <coughs> got the feeling that. I mean, I think the way it's said, it's addressed in a general sense. But I certainly always thought that Sane was probably one of the players that that was was in mind at that point.
0: Yeah. Right, so uh, well, before we move on, because we've drifted a bit from the form game, uh, but I want to bring it back to, to Premier League matters, because, uh, Jack, you were talking about the situation at the top of the table uh, earlier on. Um, when do City start looking at their rivals in terms of the seasons that they're having? Because you look at like Liverpool for Spurs this weekend as well. Mm. So there's, I mean... You always at this stage of the season think, well, who who's going to be up there? Who's going to be in and around there? Does City just need to get on with their own season and concentrate on that, yeah. or do they start to think, well, actually, if Liverpool drop points here, we can take advantage and get that psychological kind of edge in front?
2: Mm, no, because you only get the psychological edge by winning every week, don't you? They don't really need to start looking at that until mm. December time, um, which is what uh, which is what Mourinho always says when he's asked. He said, "Come back to me in December, and I'll, I'll let you know who's who's doing what." Um, very difficult. I mean, they can strike when you know. Obviously, they can strike blows, can't they? When they're when they're playing these teams, but someone's going to take points off someone else when Liverpool play Spurs. That'd be the same in August. It'd be the same in September. It'd be the same in March. So, I, unless unless you look at kind of United's problems in the first few weeks and go right, well, that's their card marked, um if Liverpool or whoever we're going to we're going to drop just, I'm just I'm just thinking that it. there's a lot of city fans who will be quite <clears throat> nervous by Liverpool's start. Yeah, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of faces in and around the game who want Liverpool to do well, which kind of adds to it. Um they've started very well. They've got a very 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 good team. But there is a tendency with Liverpool for people to get very giddy very quickly think we'll leave that there
3: I, I, just, I just on that as somebody put it recently and i forget who it was but I, I thought it was a very good tweet of it's all well and good getting giddy four games in but they've been giddy before with four games to go and still lost it I was just saying, <laughs> no,
0: we never gave them enough stick really did we for for singing we're going to win the league ahead of that chelsea
2: game and then
3: i'm upset that enough, you've but... left watford out of that roundup of our rivals <laughs> to be honest I tell you what
2: watford win saturday they're banging it aren't they? they've taken points off united Quite, yeah. (laughs) Who hasn't, though, in recent years?
0: Right, this time 20 years ago, Manchester City fans were getting used to their first and what is now likely to be only season in the third tier of English football. 1998 saw the team begin the campaign at their lowest point in their history. Sam Roscoe has been on a trip down memory lane to see how it got that far. (coughs) Making the choice over whether to support City
1: or United when you're growing up in Manchester now might be a whole lot easier than it was in the past. With Pep Guardiola winning trophies just like Manuel Pellegrini and Roberto Mancini before him, there's a clear and obvious reason that school kids might pick to follow the blue half instead of the reds. Two decades ago, it was a totally different story. It was more a question of family loyalties and teasing in the playground. City fan Colin Schindler wrote the book Manchester United Ruined My Life in the late 90s. The whole difference
0: between City and United is the age-old battle between faith and reason. Reason tells you
3: to support United. They win lots of matches. They're, They're a famous side all over the world. But the faith is something that United supporters never understand. You can't do it if your roots are in Manchester City's soil. You can't uproot them.
1: However, it went further than that. Joe Royal, speaking just after he was appointed City Manager in February 1998, and as he was battling against relegation to the third tier, thought the supporters might have been gluttons
4: for punishment. It's a modern-day phenomenon whereby a club that has been unsuccessful, made unsuccessful at an art, and has 28,000 people turning up to watch them. It's almost become a cult thing. Now, you know, we know we're bad, but we're turning up to watch it. Fantastic supporters. So just imagine when they've got a little bit to cheer about, when something goes, goes well, what they'll be. I mean, I'm fortunate. I played here for three years. We were runners up in the league. We won the League Cup. We played against Juventus in European games here, and the place was hopping.
1: The new manager brought with him a friend from his playing days at Main Road in the shape of Willie Donaghy, his assistant. Speaking to the Blue Moon the Scott explained what the situation was when he and Joe arrived back in Moss Side.
4: They've been through a few managers, a few managers had been sacked and there was fifty-four professionals. So like the first couple of days we just played two games, eleven V eleven, then another eleven v eleven to try and see the players we had. There was that many. So it was like really difficult and some players who had big reputations were really performing.
1: Of course, City's problems went a lot further back than the 1990s, but that was when the seas really began to get rough. The club had appointed Howard Kendall in December 1989, and less than a year later, he'd left to rejoin his old club Everton. Peter Reid was given the job as player-manager, and things did seem relatively stable. As the first division reformed into the Premier League, City were consistently in the top half of the table. Reid, also an ex-Evertonian, spoke about the role years later.
5: Sam Ellis has been number two. You need a strong number two. But certainly when you're on the same pitch as players, it can get a bit, bit difficult. But um, no, the players, to be fair to the players, they, they reacted really well to it. I had to make a, a few changes because uh, I think I would come for the likes of Mark Ward and Neil Poyton and uh, I had to change it around a, a, a little bit. But while I was there, I think uh, we had two fifths finishes and a ninth finish, which wasn't too bad really.
1: Reed's first of his fifth place seasons would be the last time City finished above their rivals Manchester United until Mancini's outfit won the title in 2012. That just goes to show where the two clubs were at that point, and but for a series of sliding doors moments, City could have been one of the Premier League's powerhouse teams from day one. As it happens, they sacked Reed in August 1993.
5: I had problems with the chairman about uh, I think he went in the Manchester even News, if you look back, and said he had six million to spend and it uh, wasn't forthcoming. So I obviously, as a young manager, and a bit hot-headed, wasn't happy with that. And there was there was unrest, yeah. Circumstances happened where me and Mr, the, the then chairman, Mr Swales, fell out and uh, if you fall out with the chairman, there's only one answer.
1: Tensions arose when chairman Peter Swales appointed former journalist John Maddock as general manager in a move that undermined Reed's authority. Needless to say, the City boss wasn't pleased.
5: I wasn't overly keen on the situation um, and we had a couple of discussions about football which I didn't agree with him and, and it made me, me feelings known and um, he asked me to get rid of my number two and, and I said, well, am I the manager or you? So that was a bit of discontent and I let me feelings known and I was gone after four games.
1: There was also a battle going on for control of the club with Swales under pressure to sell Former player Francis Lee was interested. A campaign forward with Franny was gathering momentum. Reid explains that it had an effect on the players.
5: The first year of the Premiership, Manchester United won it. And we, we Manchester City, finished ninth. And that, that season, I, I thought I was going to get some money to to um, b- bolster the squad and it wasn't forthcoming. I think the fans found that, you know, because Manchester United won the title... Uh, That's where the unrest kicked in. And it's difficult for players if, if, you know, because whatever you say, Main Road was one of them atmospheric stadiums and the crowd didn't to get behind the lads. And and when they get frustrated and and they turn on someone else, it takes away something from, from that support for the players. And I think it's fair to say that it does affect players, yeah.
1: As one of his final acts as chairman, Swales appointed Brian Horton as manager. He was under pressure from the off as a relative unknown, he told the Blue Moon podcast what it felt like to hear some fans asking, Brian who?
4: Brian who, when I played there and I'd managed there. So I, I, I took that with a pinch of salt and I thought I'd earned my stripes to be fair. You know, I'd had five years at Old City with one promotion, uh, managing the championship for four there went to Oxford managing the championship for nearly five there, so ten years champ- managing the championship, you know, so um, a lot of people obviously thought at the time, you know, that I probably wasn't a big enough name to, to go in there, but um, I, I didn't feel that way. It
1: can't be denied that Horton brought entertaining football to Main Road, however the side struggled for consistency during his tenure. Despite the expansive attacking displays, City was slipping down the table. In the boardroom, Francis Lee had taken over. He gave Horton a second season in charge, but the boss says he wasn't given the full opportunity to succeed before his sacking.
4: We were never in relegation trouble, so I I don't don't want to hear that word really because we weren't. It looked poor in the end and we'd been better than that because I think at Christmas we were six in the league and um, obviously... With the chairman that was in, uh, he knew I was going, so he wouldn't give me any more money to buy, buy players. So you can sense it. You, you, you know, I mean, I've been in football long enough to know when things like that are going to happen, and, and and chairman won't give you any more money to buy players. Then you know it's uh, it's inevitable.
1: With Horton gone and Alan Ball in place, City ended up dropping like a stone. They picked up just two points from their opening eleven games in Ball's first season. It's little surprise they were relegated the following May. In the second tier, things got worse and the turmoil became, frankly, ridiculous. Ball resigned, then his replacement, Steve Koppel, quit after just 33 days. When Frank Clark took charge, he became the fifth manager the club had had that season. So that left City needing a rescue job. With 14 games to go when Royal was appointed as Clark's replacement, relegation to the third tier was looming. It left these fans
5: embarrassed. You know, Those Mickey take wherever you go. I've got Stockport fans that were giving it me now.
3: I am 61 and I've been coming here for years. And last Saturday was absolutely the worst.
6: they are playing like 11 people that have never even been introduced. And when you consider the money they're actually being paid, they should at least be able to pass the ball to each other.
3: I don't think this is the only change that needs to be made. I think right at the top, it's got to start there now. Give give Joe Royal a chance, but get rid of Francis Lee. It won't be so bad if we've got value for money, but uh, it's like a comedy show coming here every old match.
1: In the end, relegation was inevitable. A 5-2 win at Stoke on the final day of the season wasn't enough for the club to stay up. And just two years on from derbies against Manchester United and Liverpool, the fans were contemplating rivalries with the likes of Macclesfield. While we may be celebrating where City are right now, it's always worth remembering the worst of times too. It feels like a lifetime, but the hopelessness and despair was only two decades ago.
6: Hi, this is Patrick Vieira. You're listening to the Blue Moon podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show.
1: Support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
0: Sam Roscoe looking back at how City ended up in the third tier of English football 20 years ago. Now then, uh, ahead, coming up uh, this week, we've got the uh, start of the Champions League. Richard, you've been writing about it for our Patreon backers this week. Um, I have. You have. You're right. Um, basically, you've uh, you, you, you've said why City fans should be able to think that they can win the competition this season. So I'm going to give you a platform now. Uh, would you like to elaborate on why?
3: Uh yes. Um it was it's a bit of an about turn for me this because my position, I'll say <laughs> yeah, my position on the Champions League is always and I still maintain this, it's almost impossible to um to really set as a benchmark. I don't necessarily take it as an indicator of cities quality or a team's quality, in so much as going out in the quarter final or the last sixteen isn't always an indicator that um that you've had an absolute disaster. It's the nature of those defeats. Last season, City in the quarterfinal had an absolute disaster. Guardiola uh, proved, for maybe the first, one of the only times last season, that he isn't infallible, because he put Gundogan on the right at Anfield, and uh, he, to my mind, conceded a little bit of his principles because he thought more about what Liverpool could do than what his own team could do. Uh, but Guardiola is really good at learning from his mistakes. We've seen that, um, or certainly improving a a team that have made mistakes as well. Um and so that gives me cause to think that in a similar situation this season he wouldn't do the same again. And you look at City's squad and it is I'm not sure that there's a better one in the competition. I'm, I just
0: uh, I just get this feeling though that that you say, you know, it, he won't make the same mistakes again. I just feel like he might make entirely different ones. You know?
3: Well, of course, <laughs> that's always an option. But Guardiola is so successful because he makes very, very few mistakes, and he certainly doesn't tend to repeat them when he does make them. So, um, his career is one of—I mean, it started off pretty well, and he's—he's he's got better, in my opinion. So, um, there's, there's no reason to me that he would—he he would sort of fall into the trap of worrying more about an opponent than thinking more about his own strengths again. Um, there are still some concerns, I think, about his away record in the Champions League. It doesn't seem to get as much scrutiny as it deserves and it isn't fantastic. Um, so I think that it bears some scrutiny. But again, with the quality of this squad and this team, how we've already seen they can improve from in one competition from one season to the next, if they can bring that across to the Champions League, then there's no reason that City can't win it. You look at the the, the potential rivals for it. Madrid, okay, you, you never would have seen them winning it three years in a row, but four years just seems almost impossible. They've lost the manager uh, who did all that. They've got a manager whose club record isn't all that impressive. Um, Barcelona... I don't think there is, you know, they don't. I think what I said in the piece was that they don't resonate like they once did. Juventus have signed Ronaldo to really prioritise winning the Champions League, but there's no guarantee of it. Um, Liverpool? But, but, uh, Liverpool are a threat, but again, I look at it and I'm just not sure I can see them repeating the trick from last year. The, I, th- I still think they're probably better suited to the Champions League than the Premier League, but another run to the final, I don't know. I don't know. Bayern Munich under new management, PSG still flatter to deceive, um although I'll be very interested to see what Tuchel can do there. So fair fair play. I mean, nailed on, isn't it, Jack? Yeah. As long as we don't get as <laughs> long as well, we don't
0: get Liverpool. We might as well pack up and everyone pack up and go home oh, now. <laughs> um, I mean realistically though, where should City fans be able to to think their team can get this season in the Champions League? Uh, is winning it
2: that much of a of a pipe dream? No, definitely not, no. They're one of the best teams in Europe, aren't they? So they've got an opportunity. Um but it's the Champions League is so unpredictable. Mm. Like, you don't know what you're going to come up against here. Like, um after Christmas, uh, they di- They certainly didn't know that. They didn't know what they were coming up against when they went to Anfield. They didn't. They didn't think they were going to get hit with that. And I mean, the, mu- the amusing thing about the fir- that first leg was that Guardiola got criticised for not changing his principles when, in fact, he changed them far too much. Yeah, that's exactly. What and people used. People, well, there was a bit of guesswork going on one though, it was kind of like, oh he's not changing, but he, he gave up gave up way too much to Liverpool on that night, and then you look at kind of Monaco Monaco individual's mistakes the year before, wasn't it really, defensively? They're kind of fine, fine, fine margins, and the the second leg against Liverpool last season, could have had three goals in the first 15 minutes, completely different game is it? Completely different game so, the it's very it's difficult to kind of sit here and say, "Oh, yeah, they should be aiming for the last four, or they should be aiming to get to the final." Because, because you don't it know all depends what's... on the yeah, draw, doesn't you do, it? You yeah. can't, you can't I mean, sit here and. I mean, Barcelona might go and finish second in their group, City walk, and then get them get paired together in the last sixteen. Then does that then go down as a failure if they were to get knocked out by a team like that in the last? I don't know. It's just that's why they won't. They won't Don't priori- ever prioritize it until it's worth prioritizing. Until you're in that situation yeah. of last eight, last four. Well, that's so. why the Premier League will always be the most important thing for the first six months of the season. Because mm-hmm. what, what's what's the point in worrying about something you effectively can't affect?
0: Well, I was going to, in, in that kind of sense, then do we? Is there a danger of us expecting too much from City in Europe? Because you, again, <coughs> the group you've you've got the opportunity to make one or two mistakes in games and still go on and win the group. But after that, you know, like you say, fine margins. Oh, it takes refereeing error. Offside goal or something, because the, the wrong way, yeah, yeah. And the way goal, and suddenly you're you're up against it.
2: Yeah, I mean, they have, did they have both of those last year? Well, they had pretty much everything. Yeah, at Banfield, yeah. Didn't <laughs> they, they all, didn't they penalties a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, it's there's nothing there's nothing wrong with expectation and wanting them to do uh, to go further than they've ever gone before the kind of Pellegrini year, but this it's just very difficult to kind of predict. And I mean, look, if they struggled out of that group. Then you'd be asking questions, wouldn't you? Because they couldn't have handpicked a better group than what they've got. Um, but beyond that, you, you're struggling to kind of f- form any kind of coherent argument for them not doing well or, than, or them going all the way.
3: I think part of my reason, and just to be clear, this isn't like a overly confident or sort of bombastic, we're going to win the Champions League. But it's the first year where I've looked at it at the start and thought, right. As, in as much as you can target Champions League success, and I would never want us to prioritise it, the league's far more important to me, but this is the year where I can most look at it and feel this is the time to do it. Like, if we if we've got a chance, this is the year. And also... Um, I feel there's an inevitability about City winning the Champions League at some point, whether they do it in five years in a Chelsea-like style where actually we're not that good a team or Liverpool 05 where we're not that fantastic but we just put it together in Europe and have a good run or whether we do it in the best way possible of doubling it up with your league title which is your proof to me that's where the Champions League helps prove you as a great because you are mixing it with domestic success. Um, I don't know but I think to me there's an inevitability that just in this era City will win the Champions League at some point they will they will make it to a final it, it seems too improbable that they won't and so when i look at it like that why would it not be this year
0: so if you want to get Richard's thoughts, patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. It's available for everyone who backs $2 a month, along with the uh, bonus shows. I'm blogging on there, Richard's blogging on there. We we do about two a month, although I tend to stick a, a couple more up when I've been to press conferences and stuff. So, uh, yeah, the uh, it's uh, it's well worth your money, I think. But then again, I would say that, wouldn't I? <laughs> um, coming on to, to the Leon, Leon game. Um, it's difficult to know what to expect from them because early on in the season... I. Th- you know they've they they've played four one two lost two they're not in you wouldn't say they're in rip roaring form you know they're not p s g they're not Monaco so like it's it, it's difficult to know really
2: no it's kind of just looked at the results before it's one nils or well, two nils and then they're getting they, beat they, and that. i they mean don't they don't
3: have a great away record either do they i gather
2: the well no they, they lost uh, uh they lost their opening away game of the season i think um and lost Against Patrick Vieira's niece, didn't he? At home, I think. Um, so it's been a bit of a up and down start to the season, but it's one of these. I, you know, I'd love to be able to come <laughs> here and say, "Oh, we got to watch out for him." Or,
0: but I mean, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Where in this day and age, we're supposed to be experts on on pretty much everything that comes yeah. up against City. But then again, you you know, you, you go online and you can you can just about you can see the results, and that's.
2: My BT Sports subscription doesn't go as far as Liga, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, well, so I, I think we'll we'll dive straight in with some predictions then. Uh, still, only one winner for our season so far on the charity bet, but as the season gets into full flow with the first midweek games for City, it means we've got two chances to add some more to the 100 pound total so far. William Hill's given each panelist a 10 pound correct score single on their score predictions, and the winnings are going to the Christia Cancer
3: Hospital in Manchester. So, Fulham and Leon, uh, Richard, what are you going for? Uh, For Fulham, I'm going for a confident but still fairly conservative 3-1. And Leon, I don't know enough about to make a reasonable prediction, so I'm hedging my bets on a 2-0 City win. Uh,
0: Fulham, 9-1, 90 quid. And uh, Leon, uh, 7-1, 70 quid, if you're right, on, uh, on either of them. Jack, what are you having?
3: Um...
2: Well, I'd love to go for the, exactly the same as Richard, but I'm told I'm not allowed to do that. Well, the, the funny story so, is, is that ahead
0: of the show, I always text them to find out what they're, what they're going to predict, and I text them both independently, and within minutes of each other, they they both sent over the same scoreline, <laughs> and Richard only gets it by virtue of the fact that you were first. So sorry about that, I By Joe. a nose.
2: <laughs> uh, I've gone 2-0 Fulham, although having listened to Richard before, it sounds like it's going to be about 8-7. So. <laughs> do you want to change it? Change it no, no, want. no, I'll go 2-0 Fulham. A Thirteen to two, so sixty-five quid, uh, and a three-one win against Leon.
0: Seventeen to two, so uh, eighty-five quid. I, I, I think it shows that we don't really know for this coming week because I've gone for two-one against Fulham and two-one against Leon as well. So uh, that's ten to one against Fulham, hundred quid, and uh, seventeen to two, just like Jack, uh, eighty-five quid for for Leon. So I mean, looking around those ballparks. One of us has to be right, surely. That's not how predictions
3: work, David. No, it's a no. funny old game, isn't it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Before within like 10 minutes in both of these games. I'll be completely out of it. Right, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more information about responsible gambling, visit BeGambleAware.org. Now then, Sitters Academy is geared up to finding the best young talent from across the northwest and further afield. But it's not always been like that. Back in the 1980s, David Brightwell was part of a generation of players to make it all the way to the club's
6: first team. He's been telling me about his memories of that time. Tony Buck phoned, and he phoned for Ian, and Ian was out. And in those days, we had no mobiles, anything like that. So he just started chatting and just asked if I played much. And I said, yeah, I played for a local team around Congleton area, where we grew up. And Skip just said, you know, if you want to come down to the next school holidays, come in with Ian. Um, it was sort of getting established then. I was probably I was probably 14, 15. I can't even remember the first time I went, but generally... The younger players that that were playing for the, the feeder teams went in school holidays um, just to get a taster. Really,
0: was it kind of comforting having Ian to to, to kind of bounce off because you know he'd been there and and, and kind of seen how the the process works.
6: It was, uh, and uh, you know it was very different then from from what it is now. You know, I remember going training and you wouldn't speak to the first team. There was two dressing rooms, the fir- the home team dressing room where the first team got changed and then the away team was generally the kids and the apprentices and and, and people like that and, and the young lads like ourselves who went in. And if you had to go in and get something, it was a horrendous moment. You'd have stuff thrown at you and yeah, it was a bit of banter and that and you know, I'm sure at times it did go a little bit too far. But they were revered, the first team, everyone looked up to them. Um, and us younger ones looked up to the apprentices because in in some ways to us, they'd made the first rung on the ladder. It was a funny situation because I was at school down the road, so I used to train and we'd have, I don't know, 10 periods a week where we were studying the three A-levels I was doing. Apart from that, you had a lot of free time for revision and stuff. So I used to go out and train on my own, uh, train with my dad who was obviously with the athletic background. Then I'd go in on a Saturday morning, normally play A-team game or something like that. And the lads that were doing the full-time YTS, I remember the first year of the YTS, they got £27.50 a week. The accommodation was paid for, fair enough. But City came up with a semi-pro contract for me where they would pay me £25 a week just for playing on a Saturday and then i got get expenses on a Saturday as well. So I couldn't believe my luck. You know, I was only earning £2.50 a week less than the lads that were going in every day. I didn't have to clean boots, didn't have to clean the bath and the toilets and all sorts and I've skipped Tony Buck, you know, shouting all the time and stuff like that. Um, so I couldn't believe me. Look, all my mates had paper rounds or bar jobs and stuff like that and I was getting paid, not for nothing, but for just... Enjoyed myself, really.
0: Now We've got a lot of listeners all over the world. Um, just to kind of put it into, into context, Congleton to Platte Lane isn't a, isn't a short
6: journey. Um, how, how, I mean, how, how do you go through getting that
0: distance at that age?
6: Mum and Dad were brilliant. You know, when it was possible, they would take me in. But by this stage, Ian was sort of playing a few first-team games, so sometimes they'd split and one would come and watch me and, and one would go and watch Ian. Or sometimes they'd go and watch Ian and I'd have to get the train. Now, Congleton's probably 25 miles south of Manchester, and the trains are not the best, shall we say. There is a direct line to Piccadilly, but they run every hour, and you know, an occasional one gets cancelled and stuff like that, so I'd have to plan it. I'd bike up to the station, and the plan was get the train into Piccadilly, uh, and then get a bus, but more than once, you know, I'd have my suit on, and my, or my jacket and tie, and and my trousers and uh, more than once the bus didn't turn up now tony buck and Glimpardo were not ones for turning up late so more on more than one occasion before an 18 game which kicked off at 11 o'clock in the morning i would find myself running to Platte lane with my boots in my hand shin pads in my hand and i'd run i don't know how far it's probably a couple of miles two and a half miles so i'd turn up sweaty and roasting out, and they would wonder what's going on and invariably someone had passed me on Platt lane about 50 yards from the thing I said oh if you'd have told me I would have given you a lift but you know players wouldn't, wouldn't dream of doing that but I was 16 or whatever 17 and you know it wasn't a chore to me it was just a means of getting to play a football match and then probably hopefully watch the first team game on a Saturday
0: How did you end up making that step up then to, towards the first team? It all came about at, uh, at Wimbledon as well you can't really ask for uh, <laughs> more baptism of
6: fire than that can you? They were bullies you know, as simple as that, really. You'd turn up before the game, walk past the dressing room, you'd be in your suits. You'd stay at a hotel the night before, you'd walk past the dressing room. And who generally had bit the door somewhere in vision in just his underwear, all oiled up, flexing his muscles. The ghetto blaster would be blaring out. And they'd try to intimidate you, really. Um, and we played the first half, and Peter Reed wasn't happy with a couple of things in defensive positions at the time. We were 2-0 down at half-time, I think. Really walked in the shower, spoke to Sam Ellis briefly, came back in and said, Sticks was my nickname cause was tall and thin. Uh, Sticks, you're on. Reddo, Steve Redmond, you're off. So, you know, I was surprised. So I didn't really have a chance to be nervous. That's probably the best thing about it. You know, I, I was just told, and then you're going on and that's it. Those days, they used to take the centre, pass it back to Vinnie Jones. Vinnie Jones would lower up it 60 yards up and Fashner would start on the right halfway line, right on the touch line, and he'd try and win the header. So he'd come over, Vinnie Jones whacked it over, Fashiony went for the header, and I beat him and headed it out for throwing. Fashionee was nodding his head a little bit. So long throw comes down the line, and I beat him again. And he said, right, that's it, you and me, big man. And from then, the next one, I got a trailing arm from somewhere. They were very sneaky how they did it, He beat me on that header and then I got an arm a little bit late, shall we say. Uh, It wasn't an elbow, but that was the way they played. It was great to make my debut and it it couldn't have been a tougher game really, but it it went okay. (laughs) This is the Blue Moon
0: Podcast. David Brightwell talking to me about his memories of being in the City first team. Now then, we're going to finish with Ask the Panel. This is the bit of the show where you send in your questions, yadda, 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 at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter is the best way to do it. Uh, Andrew Carrington's first up from Twitter. He asks, does Guardiola feel pressure from Southgate to play his English players?
2: Pep's always maintained that he wants the England team to do well and City uh, have some of England's best players in their midst, so... um I would assume there's full blessing from his point of view for them to for them to go and play um yeah, he's, he's always very he, genuinely always very positive when he speaks about England and Southgate
0: Southgate I mean Southgate is uh, he strikes me as a different sort of England manager he seems to do a lot more speaking to the club managers
2: yeah and he's got I think he's got the respect of most if not Kind of all of them. There's a bit more of a kind of human element to Southgate, oh. isn't there? I mean, that's a bit of a wishy-washy thing to say, but but I know what you mean. Yeah, this I don't know. There seems it does seem to be a bit more dialogue, although there was there was a decent amount with Hodgson as well. Um, probably not with not with the managers beforehand, because um, it was it was interesting. Kind of um, when it became clear that Southgate was going to play Walker on the right hand side of a back three. Kind of said to Guardiola, is that is that something that you've discussed? And he and he said, no, it's not. It's not kind of he's his own he's his own man now. I've got to kind of rely on him to be telling the truth there, but it, it just kind of show you that Southgate is not leaning on these big characters because the Premier League is full of them, really. When you look at it, Mourinho, Guardiola, Klopp, Conte last season. There's loads of huge big characters and. There aren't that many England dropouts and friendlies, really, are there? Well, certainly, ironically, Sterling. Well, I know, could, I know. You know, but fewer fewer than in previous years. I, I don't really know what that tells you, but <laughs> I don't, maybe, maybe he's got more respect for them, I don't know. But Guardiola has certainly been very positive about England.
0: Right, uh, Ray's been in touch on Twitter. Richard, I'm going to throw this one to you. Um, Is there a way to make away tickets fairer and avoid point hoarders buying up tickets? Um, You go to a lot more away games than I do. Is it a problem?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very difficult one. There needs to be a way of striking a balance with this because I accept that for certain away games so for example take take bournemouth right i've i've had no chance of being able to get to bournemouth um for any of the away games in the premier league because there's such a uh such a small away following um that, that gets in there because it's a very small stadium that um i just don't have a chance on my loyalty points and i've got a decent number of ticket points i've got a decent number because I had a period where I did a lot of away games. It's not the same anymore, but I, I still do a reasonable amount. Um, but I accept that with that, that the people who have got to more games, who want to go to Bournemouth, well, that's almost their reward, that they are part of... That they, They've put the effort in, they've spent the money on going to so many games that I don't begrudge them having priority over me. I accept it, because in turn... I would hope that for the big games that people want tickets for, like the Derby, like Liverpool away, so on and so forth, where you get more tickets, I probably think it's right that if I've been to more away games that season, that I'm higher in the list than somebody who hasn't been to any. I think that's fair. Um, I think it's it's almost a, a meritocracy, um, and I don't have a big problem with that. The problem is, in my opinion, that there's no resetting of that system. So for somebody now who might be in a different position to, and part I'll be open about it. Part of the reason that I don't get to, well, the reason I don't get to as many away games as I used to, is a change in circumstances. I have a mortgage now. It's, you know, it's um, it's different for me. I have other priorities. But that's not to say that in five years, my circumstances might change again. I'm, who knows? I might win the lottery. I might want to go to loads more games again. Um, And there should be a way back in for people. There should be a way for people to get started on that ladder um, of going to away games. It shouldn't belong to, I use this word very, very loosely, but an elite group of people who we're the best follow-up fans because we go to more away games. Because I don't think somebody whose circumstances allow them to get to more away games is a better supporter than me, nor do I think I'm a better supporter than somebody who's never been to an away game. That isn't... isn't—it's a So I guess my point being, I think it's hard because I think there should be an element of merit to it. But I don't know why you split that. I, one of the ideas that I like is the idea of maybe the rolling ticket points, that or oh, that they reset after five years or something like that, um, to make it fairer. So just that, to give that way in, yeah, so that people have a chance of getting a way in. Because I'm, I mean, I'm just lucky. I'm lucky that I was able to start going to away games at the point I could, that has allowed me to see some of our biggest away games. But it was purely luck that I was able to start gaining those points at the point that they were introduced that that put me ahead of the game for a lot of people but there's, there's an element of fairness to it but there needs to be it it can be made fairer as well and i'm not gonna i don't have all the answers on that obviously but i i think the fairest thing to me other than a ballot system that makes it completely open and random for every game so everybody has an equal chance all the time that's clearly quite fair um could
0: you wait the ballot then in that sense so if you maybe you know, if you have got more if you more aware games you get slightly more kind of tickets in the ballot
3: yeah yeah i think that's that's probably one way to do it
0: um then i'm it, just throwing throwing it, ideas out there seeing what sticks yeah. it needs
3: a lot of thinking what i where i think this has a chance and where something might um do, where there might be a bit of a wind in the sails of this stuff is that city and have now made quite a big show of this like the fan representation that where they're going to speak to is it every month or every quarter or something they get to speak to the execs and put the point across and i think this is enough of an issue for enough people that it will get raised time and time again until it's uh corrected if that's the word if you think it needs correcting then until it's corrected um but i don't think it's an easy one you, you're going to upset somebody you're going to have somebody who feels uh, hard done by. At, at some point, it's, it's impossible to make everybody happy with something like this.
0: And finally, Andy McNabb on Twitter asks: So Who do you think replaces Guardiola when his time at City is over? I mean, it's a, it's a while off, so there's plenty, of, plenty of time to kind of answer this one. It could be an unknown name, but
2: is there anybody out there at the moment? I've got plenty of time to answer this. Or oh, oh, you mean oh, right? Okay. You, you, you see what I mean? <laughs> Just uh, signed a new contract. <laughs> it's not going anywhere for a while. <laughs> I thought. It was, well, I was about to keep you on the night. Um, <laughs> uh, Mikel Arteta, I think, would be my guess. Richard? Um,
3: yeah, probably, um, probably my guess too. Um, but that's on the basis that we assume he doesn't get snapped up by anyone else in the next three years. And how long can you keep him if another club, reasonable club, comes calling? And it's all right, you know, you might let him go and think, but well, we'll, we'll just bring him back if he does well. But circumstances might not allow that at the time. So, and
2: Jack, it, I cut you off there. So what were you can say? Does, he just he does a hell of a lot of work behind the scenes. He is the he is the number. I don't think he's officially been appointed number two. He likes a coaching team Doesn't he But Arteta is As good as Is the assistant manager Yeah, Um, In all but name Yeah And does Does loads and loads of work How many How many years Are you going to be here He's got another Three years A lot can change Can't it
0: all right, well, so that note, thank you very much to my two guests in the studio, Richard Burns. Uh, pleasure, David. Thank you very much. And Jack Gaunt. Thanks for having me. And uh, we've got an extra special bonus show this week, discussing uh, some of the City youth players that have made it into the first team. If you want to have a listen, uh, then it's $2 a month on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. There's all sorts of rewards on there, so go and check it out. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.